Justin is me. I am Tom. Frank is here. And we're Plaid Lens. Plaids. I'm a basketball shorts boy. <laughs> I'm a I'm a jorts man myself. I'm a gaucho That's respectable. guy. <laughs> it's you and John Cena. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey guys, what do you think of my new hat? I like it. It's a PA hat, a pillow hat, Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, I got the... it. I got it as an impulse buy. I was buying a regular hat for my brother. It's of the new variety with the flatness. Mm. Yeah, the fitteds. Are they still like exorbitant? No, I got it for ten bucks. I can tell because of the sticker on it. Yeah, <laughs> you leave those on. That's how you know it's cool. You leave the sticker yeah. on. Uh, oh, I, I can see it right there. It says ten dollars. <laughs> I feel like I look like uh, Baby Mario. I feel like it's too mm. big. It's pretty bulbous. Uh, but. I can't return it anymore, so I'm going to just start breaking it in. You have, um, over the past few years, started wearing um, uh, baseball caps, and you have glasses and a beard. Um, You look like a celebrity when they're not acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you look like you're shopping in like a coffee shop and it's not quite incognito yeah. but you can tell that they just don't want to be bothered yeah so they wear a trucker cap and like jeans and a shitty t-shirt yeah and they're just like yeah i'm ashton Kutcher, i'm ashton Kutcher. don't bother <laughs> yeah you know it's emily fun. blunt's following behind you in a in a ginormous scarf <laughs> yeah this kids all- in tow this is all very flattering. Although I I, I, I would make the observation that uh, one day they were giving out free Bud Light hats, and I took one and I put it on, and like six people said hello to me, strangers in rapid succession. Can we can we talk about how Bud Light is Bud Light hats are like mega hats now? Can we okay. talk about Bud Light is basically uh, uh, positioned themselves as the fascist beer? Yeah, it's it's. Uh you know, it's the dilly dilly. They have a new. They have new commercials where it's like. They do. And the slogan, the tagline is "For the many, not oh, the few." What Which the is, fuck well, is that supposed to mean? Yeah. By by the way, like, you know where they got that from, right? That's from the the Byron. Oh no, not Byron. That's from the Percy Shelley poem, "The Mask of Anarchy." Which is a uh, poem of left wing agitation. Mm. Uh, so, and it's a slogan that was recently used in Jeremy Corbyn's fairly successful uh, uh, election campaign from uh, the snap election from two years ago. Fuck you, Bud Light. What's wrong with you? No, but 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 don't break my heart. Where does uh, uh, Bud Light Lime stand on uh, Brexit? Brexit. <laughs> Breakfast. It's, <laughs> it's, pro. It's, it's it's pro. They're very pro Theresa May. No, Bud Light Lime is like um What's like Is is it the Jeb Bush of <laughs> No 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 it's 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 like the New Zealand of uh <laughs> They're just listening to listen to Ace of Base and uh <laughs> Pastaducci and uh driving a Geo Tracker. 
No, Bud Light Lime is the sort of casual fascism of the petty tyrant that is the small business owner. Uh, Bud Light... Bud Light Lime is a guy who like owns three pizzerias and they're fairly successful mm. and he has like a boat and he has like uh he has like two homes. I uh I really wish I remembered the name of it because it has a name. But I'm used to, I was shout out to Sean Sachs. I was hanging out with the great man Sean Sachs many <laughs> years ago. And he was like, We're driving around his hometown, Ariel, New Jersey. And he's like, do you want to see some shit? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he starts telling me the story as he's driving his car through these neighborhoods. And he's like, there's this guy. He started. He he had a few adult video stores and like sex toy shops. And uh, it got kind of like popular. He had like a warehouse. He'd ship all over the country. He was making lots of money through the 80s. And he, uh, he built a McMansion. <laughs> and we around the corner and there is the tackiest McMansion and in the front in the front yard there's a statue of the guy <laughs> hell yeah and he's like on a fucking horse <laughs> and it looks terrible it looks like one of those uh, confederate statues you see in the news the really ugly ones um, oh, yeah. well they're all ugly I'm picturing says this observer I'm picturing, have you seen that really bad Lucille Ball statue? Yes. <laughs> yes. Or the uh, the uh, the Ronaldo statue. Did you oh, know? I haven't seen that one. Did you know that, oh, I forget his first name. Cristiano Ronaldo? Cristiano Ronaldo is named after Ronald Reagan. No. Yeah. Is that a true thing? That is a 100% true thing. His father uh, in Portugal and whenever early 80s really loved ronald reagan so he named his son after him story checks out portugal's kind of fascist the whole world's kind of fascist guys we're in the true are we gonna talk about it (laughs) politics politics look behind you it's a politic So, uh, Donald Trump does not work, did not, is not working for Russia, everybody. We can stop it now. Oh, no. And uh, just today, did you guys see this? He hosted the Clemson Tigers, the football team at the White House. And do you know what he served uh, these college football players? Fucking tiger meat? No, he served them platters of Wendy's and McDonald's on silver plates uh, with really nice china and silverware. That's some, like... Like insane supervillain shit. Yeah. It is. Like, was there creepy music box music playing in the background? Like, <laughs> Ring Around the Rosie? Uh, were the windows barred? No, uh, there should have been. Like, because that's, that's like, it. I keep thinking about this ever since I saw that. Like, that's like Nero, yeah. end of empire weirdness, right? Like, yeah. That's that's the sign of a decline. I feel like it's like it's I don't know, this is wrong. It's like Miss Havisham shit. <laughs> like <laughs> like Trump Trump is uh he's got a table for two set up and on the other side is the constitution and there's like a rotting red wedding cake and like a dead mouse in a no kill trap and uh <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he's like, my baby won't feed. 
He's holding. Reference to things we said off the pod. <laughs> Sick callback. Yeah, so the shutdown is still happening. That sucks. It's a not good thing. Uh, yeah, TSA workers who have now, uh, their, their first pay period has lapsed uh, with a, a $0 paycheck uh, for all federal employees. Um, and so TSA workers are now just calling in sick because why wouldn't you? Right. Why uh, wouldn't you just walk away at this point? A TSA job isn't that good, by the way. No, but now it's causing chaos at, at airports. Hey, so Trump has gone on the record as saying that this shutdown mostly affects Democrats, federal employees. Speaking of the TSA, anecdotally, and I'm sure if I Googled it, it would sound less racist because it would be less anecdotal. I feel like most TSA agents uh, are in urban centers, are an African-American. That's probably 100 percent true. So he's doing a thing that's making predominantly African-American groups of people work without being paid. Yeah, there was a guy there was like a libertarian dipshit with a goatee. Uh, who was on Twitter uh, the other day, and he's not an and a somebody. He was just some nobody Twitter guy. But his tweet went viral because he said, you know, correctly noted that most federal employees do vote Democrat, and who gives a shit? Uh, because this is Trump just strategically weeding them out of the gene pool by making it harder for them to be able to afford a home or the medicine necessary for them to live. Or to put food on the table, so only about like eight hundred thousand of them. What what I'm getting at here is we are now in the masks off stage of of whatever moment it is that we're living through, because they're not even hiding their motivations anymore. It's no well, longer. Let's. I mean, like that's one way, but I think in the. Uh, the classically short sighted way that he does stuff. You know, it's it's he's cutting off his nose despite the, his face throwing the baby out with the bathwater, uh, because <laughs> the uh, the FDA in the uh, is shut down, so uh, nobody's inspecting our meat supply anymore. <laughs> so we're just gonna die. We are literally just going to die of mad cow disease or. or- God knows what else. We're just going to start eating tainted romaine lettuce again. That's I ate cool. some romaine lettuce yesterday, and I thought, well, it's been like a couple weeks. This is fine. And then somebody casually mentioned that they ceased inspections. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Oh, oh boy. Uh, and also, like, uh, that big tax return that was supposed to be, like, the crown jewel <laughs> yeah. of his of his administration, the big return you were supposed to get on your taxes after they reformed the tax code. That doesn't happen if you don't have the IRS. It, it just doesn't happen. You don't get your money. Yeah, man. This is a this is a fucking disgrace. This is uh Yeah. It really does look like it's yeah, he's a fucking plant from an antagonistic government who's fucking shit up as much as possible before we can... Uh, he's got the door locked, and we're pounding on it, and we're like, somebody get a fire extinguisher, and he's just, like, pressing all the buttons to break everything, and eventually, uh, I don't know, a coup or Democrats or, I don't know, some fucking uh, Bastille-type shit is going to happen, and uh, human yes, wave, so? like... Uh, <laughs> Like World War Z shit, like a pile of corpses <laughs> climbing up the wall. You know. By the way, that's going to be us. That's going to be the people who make 
uh, less than $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, those are the people who just get primed for human wave attacks. Because why wouldn't you? You're, like, if you make less than a certain amount of money a year, you're, like, almost not part of the population because they consider you to have not contributed to the economy sufficiently. So... Let me tell you, you guys... Just- Guys, we're, we have a skewed perspective because we live in a relatively affluent part of New Jersey, which is the most affluent state. Yeah. Uh, that sub-50K group is most people. It's most people, yeah. and it's us. It's us and basically everyone else. Yeah, uh, which is why like, when these federal employees are saying, we literally live paycheck to paycheck... And if we miss a paycheck, that is That's in it. many like life or death. Uh, when you have these dipshits, are like, oh, so it's one pay period lapse. Well, that's a mortgage payment you missed. Uh, that's a hospital bill you can't pay. Uh, that's insulin you can't afford. Uh, that's groceries you can't buy. Uh, that's clothing you can't buy. So you just it. You know, there's this like one dipshit though. At like the Department of the Interior, who's like twenty six and would just like really wanted to buy Red Dead Redemption this month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like he really like he had saved up and that sixty dollars ain't coming. He's so like, no oh, Red Dead Redemption too. Better pay my car insurance. Yeah. Which he probably can't even pay then. Uh, anyway, <laughs> did you guys want to talk about the Picard show? Now, <laughs> yes, yes. Sure, why not? yes. So, uh, news, news about the premise of wait, the wait, show. wait, 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 ask again, real quick. Want to ask us? Did you guys want to talk about the Picard show? Make it so. <laughs> Tom, say engage. Engage. Damn it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so real quick, news came out this week about what the premise of the show about an aged Jean-Luc Picard starring Sir Patrick Stewart is going to entail. Uh, So after the destruction of Romulus in shitty, shitty Star Trek nemesis, Picard is at a stage in his life where he is like traumatized by that. And he is trying to navigate the world that he knows that is now fundamentally different because so much of the Star Trek universe is built around the detente between the Federation and the Romulans. Uh, that the subsequent shift in political alliances leads him sort of adrift and aimless. Uh, and also that that blowing up of Romulus is what leads to the uh, Star Trek wormhole universe with Chris Pine and whatnot. Huh. So he's probably going to meet Chris Pine, I don't know, in the show. <laughs> so it sounds like it's going to be like um, Patrick Stewart as Grand Torino. Well, yeah, I was thinking. Well, I was thinking more charitably, like Logan or something, where he's he's in that movie. But I'm yeah. thinking of, of him as like old man Logan Picard, though. Wait, and and he's he's hanging out with uh, Q, who has yeah. who has Alzheimer's and his he can't oh, control his powers oh. anymore. Oh, no, don't remind <laughs> me. So so he lost. He like had a sneezing. Like he had a seizure at uh, Starfleet Academy and killed everyone. Killed everyone. So, Jesus Christ. So Wesley's dead. So they're in they're in hiding, and uh, 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 so it's like reverse Logan, where Q is uh, Professor X. 
Now I just want to rewatch Logan. Now uh, I just want to scream, fuck this shit. No, there's only one way that Picard gets old, and that's when they have to go to the Debron system yes, in, in the yes, neutral yes. zone where there's a temporal anomaly that gets larger as you look backward through time. Wait, what is this? What are you talking about? Don't it's, worry no, about well, it. You're spoiling yeah. it. You're spoiling it. Uh, he gets space Alzheimer's. God damn it. Fuck this noise. There is no... What, the Remans blew up Romulus? Fuck that shit. Yeah, fuck that shit. I hate everything. Everything's dumb. Fuck Logan. We, we forgot that Justin did not get to the final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation it, yet. It so doesn't matter. <laughs> you sons of it bitches. It doesn't, but it kind of does. I feel like it does to Justin. He's not going to remember. It does to me. <laughs> you're, you're right. He probably isn't going to remember. He's not making memories right now. <laughs> <laughs> no. no the, the synapses of, of that part of the brain long since shut off. I'm going to ask you at the end of this episode shit about the stuff I said. John Luke Picard is known as going to the Dagobah system to uh, to nub nub with, uh, with uh, King Deku. King Deku? Yeah. Like the Deku tree? Yeah. Like the Zelda? Can we just talk about, like, Zelda, Zelda? for a while? <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't played it yet. Uh, Plaid Lads. Yes. Huh? We're not <gasps> going to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> We're cool. <laughs> We're cool millennial dudes. We don't go to the movies anymore. Movies are for olds. We like to stay at home and watch our primetime television on our smartphones and our uh, Twitter bots and our Russian moles. You know how it is. From the dusty mesas, of the big shadow grows, hidden in the branches. Of the poison tree of souls. Come on, Justin. Twines are I don't remember the rest of them. And when I touched her skin, my fingers ran with blood. Anyway, this week, if you couldn't tell, we're talking about a little television show called True, True detective. detective. Anyway, so we are talking about True Detective this week instead of a movie because, uh, as you guys probably know, out there in listener land, True Detective Season 3 has premiered starring the great Mahershala Ali. Uh, and it's a genuine true to, uh, true to return to form for the show because, mm -hmm. as most people know, the arc of True Detective is that Season 1 was great. And season two and the season one was like not just great, but it was like a genuine cultural flashpoint mm -hmm. because it had uh, sort of a, a lightning in the bottle chemistry between its two leads. Mm -hmm. uh, it had a really engrossing mystery structure and it was in the midst of Matthew McConaughey's sort of return to relevance Say and it. Say it. It, it's the McConaissance there you go that it uh, sparked, uh, which eventually led to him that same year winning uh, an Oscar 
for a bad movie that he's good in, but it's a bad movie that you shouldn't watch called Dallas Buyers Club. So the first season, part of what made it so successful, aside from the chemistry between Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, is that it trafficked in this sort of genuinely engrossing macabre hillbilly Lovecraftian horror that gets lost in season two because season two tried to do like a neo-noir L.A. thing. Uh, but which could have worked. It, it could have, but it didn't. No. Except for one thing, which was Colin Farrell's performance as Detective Ray Valcoro. It was this perfect marriage of his character is just this pathetic dipshit drunk who gets in over his head and he does stupid shit constantly and pays for it. But it's it's awesome. It's just sort of one of the truest things I've seen on screen is that character, that character that reminds me of. um, Do you guys remember in that season of The Sopranos with Robert Patrick? where he gets into debt with the mob and he gets way in oh, over his head. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> he hilariously tries to kill himself and fails. Yeah. <laughs> what an uh, idiot. What a yeah, the, the Ray Velcoro character is very much in that vein, and I loved it. Um, but unfortunately, it retained none of the charm or the mystery or the sort of dark uh, uh, brio of season one. Um, I think it is one of the finest um, mid uh, uh, mid sized uh, pieces of uh, visual genre art I have ever seen. And that's the important thing uh, to uh, recognize it about it. It is um, in the, <laughs> It is unabashedly uh, genre. Yes. And that's what makes it good. In genre, you can go to extremes that uh, do not feel, would not feel realistic. And it feels real and can pack an emotional punch. Because the show is not existing in a mode that is very like prestige sophistication Mm -hmm. it can go to more intense places and get a more true visceral reaction out of somebody Mm -hmm. because it is pulpy and it is sort of unabashedly sort of dank and grimy and and gross in a way that you would not get if you had a sheen of prestige or respectability that you would get with the sort of typical HBO drama, I yes. guess. Um, I, I gotta say one of the things I really love about it is that it does small character things really well. Uh, in the first couple of episodes, in the first episode, in fact, when there's a mini flashback to Rust Cole showing up to Marty's house drunk for the first time, mm-hmm. And you can tell right away that the character is drunk, but they don't explicate that until a, like uh, a scene or two later uh, when Marty says, uh, oh, you couldn't even come to my house without getting a load on. Uh, and Russ says he just he doesn't say like, oh, I struggle with this so much. You know, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. He just says, yeah, you know, I had a problem with it a while back. Mm. He just says. I, and Marty, we come to find out later through the season, 
also has a drinking problem, but they literally don't talk about it that much. He will just be drinking in a scene when you can tell it's very inappropriate for him to be drinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he never really stops. He cuts back. He goes to Promise Keepers, uh, he mentions at one point, uh, which is like a semi-religious organization that people go to when they quit drinking that's not AA. Mistakes are brought on mostly by drinking, uh, except when he fucks up those two teenage boys in that prison cell. That's that's harrowing shit. Um, I think that's a perfect opportunity to bring up. We, we will get to McConaughey, but... Um... Uh, whenever True Detective is talked about, it's about McConaughey's performance, and and yeah. absolutely he deserves it. He is the the breakout character. He's the eccentric one. Uh, he's the one that all, all of the memes are about. He's the one you would go to and recognize uh, to a Halloween party dressed as. Yeah, um, yeah. He's the one that is being parodied on SNL and shit. Yeah. Um, but I think. Uh, um, Woody Harrelson's performance as uh, Marty Hart Hart uh, is so fucking incredible. Yeah, um, I I like to whenever I talk about True Detective uh, and this exact thing, I like to also uh, point out um, uh, the actor who plays the rapper in Atlanta. Everybody talks about Brian Tyree Henry. Yes. He's incredible. He's playing kind of the straight man. He's playing the man who, uh, uh, you know, uh, paper boy, paper boy. I'm all about that paper boy. But everybody talks about Lakeith Stanfield, which is yes, absolutely. He's great in it, but it's these, uh, um, the people playing the every man next to this extraordinary, uh, eccentric character, uh, Marty's uh, uh, um, uh, plot throughout this entire thing I find very interesting. He's playing um, the kind of trope of the hard drinking, but uh, as the show would normally put it, uh, good man. Yes. He's a good man. He might drink too much. He might constantly cheat on his wife. (laughs) And then tell the woman that he's cheating on his wife with that he's going to skull fuck her. Exactly. Call her a whore. Um, But he's a good man. (laughs) Except when he fucks up those two teenagers, man. Exactly. But what what this show does is it shows that there are consequences for being the uh, actually uh, terrible bastard. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Toxically masculine uh, shithead. There are consequences to it. His life falls apart because of his actions. And I find that great. I love that. Yeah. And I I love that when the show is winding down to its denouement and they are about to solve the mystery of what the yellow king is, who is the spaghetti monster who is abducting and killing these uh, children. Uh, It's literally just them in a storage unit, uh, eating like frozen dinners and drinking beer Mm -hmm. and like just getting down to it. Yeah. And like doing it in a fashion that's probably pretty realistic to what like two sort of down on their luck over the hill guys would probably get up to if they wanted to solve one of these, them, their murders. Um, and there's a particular shot 
uh, where he t- he sort of lies a little bit to Rust about what his dating life is like post divorce and like in well into middle age. And he goes, you know, well, I date when I can. And it shows him like clicking through match.com or like mm-hmm. Christian singles.com with a TV dinner. And he just kind of like X's out of the screen and it's, it's great, you know? So they, they do this thing where, uh, uh, uh earlier on when, uh, rust is kind of grinding it out and looking at all the photos of all the dead people when he's trying to make the ID in 95, he uh, uh, goes on the speech where he's looking at all the corpses and he says, uh, you look in their eyes, whether they're open or shut, and you see something in them, you know that they, uh, this, you see this acceptance that in the last nanosecond of their existence, this narrative, this belief that they're a person, that they're this thing with an arc and a future, they see how easy it is to let go. And uh, at that point in the season, and indeed in the story arc, um, this is meant to be this like dark nihilistic thing that, uh, that, you know, we all have these beliefs about ourselves and that it's, it's all, you know, for not, you know, our programming as he calls it. But then at the last moment, he recounts his near death experience down there in the, uh, the basement after he'd been stabbed by the yellow King. And he's telling Marty that, uh, he, uh, he sank down from consciousness, and then there was another level below where he felt his uh, his his dead daughter tragically killed in a car accident when she's two years old, and he felt the love of his parents as well. All he had to do was let go, and he did let go, uh, but you know he was yanked back by the doctors, and that's why he was saying he shouldn't be here. So, sort of a, a repainting of the same. Uh, the same statement that uh, it's so easy to let go and all this. But before, when it was this, I guess, kind of nihilistic thing, it was kind of a classic afterlife trope at the end. So I feel like they kind of set up this dichotomy of of uh, his, you know, nihilistic antihero status uh, as a foil <laughs> to Marty. But it was interesting because who did the fucked up shit? Uh, another dichotomy between Marty and Rust is uh, there's a scene where uh, Rust is buying drugs off of a prostitute who he meets while in the course of the investigation. And the prostitute is hitting on him, first in her capacity, but then not in her capacity, more as a person. And she says, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I was kind of scared because you're a cop. And he very soberly says, as he does, that you should be scared. I'm, a, I, I'm the police. I can do terrible things with complete impunity. But what does he do? He just buys the drugs and he goes on his way. Whereas Marty, the one who is ostensibly the regular sort of guy, uh, in the very first scene, talking with the new detectives, he says he's the regular sort of guy. He's the one who uh, storms into the apartment of his uh, philandering partner who is, you know, broken up with him and moving on with her life because she can't wait for a married man and she doesn't want to marry a married man and, uh, you know, assaults her partner in her bed, terrified, holding his badge in his face, saying, you see this? Do you know what this means? Uh, You know, he's the dark one. He's the darkness. (laughs) He's the one who we see do these things when 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 he beats up the kids. There is one moment that it's unintentionally very funny and it makes me laugh whenever I watch it. And I want to see if it's the same moment for all three of us 
when they show the fat sheriff what's on the tape mm-hmm. and he just goes no and it cuts to the outside of the oh bus. my god <laughs> ah! it is not good for what they were trying to do which is have it be a serious scene it pulls back but, some uh, birds are startled it pulls yes, back some more you see the state back. of louisiana <laughs> pulls, back pulls back more back to planet earth space yeah <laughs> Not yeah. good for what they're trying to do, but it makes me laugh. Yes, well, the Yellow King is by uh, well, Frank probably could talk better on it. But um, uh, what, who's the author? Ambrose Bierce. Ambrose Bierce is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh, well, there is a short story called The King in Yellow by mm-hmm. uh, an author whose name I forget, but oh. it originates with uh, Ambrose Bierce and uh, the the Yellow King in Carcosa. Uh, all comes from an Amber, Ambrose Bierce short, uh, short story. Robert Chambers. Yes. Um, which I believe uh, in a thing he wrote, um, there's a play that if is uh, yes, read uh, will make you go mad. Yes. Um, uh, very similar to this tape. Um there are a lot of uh, various and interesting influences on True Detective that I've heard about. Yeah. Um, including the final line being, uh, some people think it was ripped off. Some people think it's an homage. Um, the writer of True Detective, Nick uh, Pazzolato. Pizzolato. Pizzolato. <laughs> yes. Um has come out and said that he was very influenced by many things, including like graphic novels. Uh, the final line uh, uh, is a paraphrase of Alan Moore, I believe. Yes, it is. Um, and you can tell uh, all of those influences because True Detective doesn't really feel like any other television show. There have been a lot of... Uh, um, shows about cops. There have been a lot about uh, occult crimes. Uh, Hannibal is is pretty similar to the first season of True Detective, um, but this could be a comic book. Yeah, it could be, and it probably. I think he was. I and I could be wrong about this, but I remember him saying that he was writing it as a graphic novel for a while, mm. and then it just became a show pitch. I would love to see that. Yeah. Uh, well, like, what's the what's that one you like? Harrow County. Harrow County. Yes. It's uh, very similar to that. Very similar. It's it's uh, oh it's. Uh, I love when any uh, form of media mixes in real life um mysticism yes that, that that's a thing that, uh, we should talk about about this show the show itself uh it is very lovecraftian horror um but it's not a supernatural show whatsoever no you could it- interpret it that way if you were dumb <laughs> yes if you're a stupid person Um, But it is about uh, this group of uh, uh, elites of of people who believe in hoodoo. Uh, They are doing these ceremonies. 
um, whether it is uh, if they truly believe their shit or if they're just sadistic fucks who get off on on it's probably that Pizzagate is probably real, but the people that the Pizzagate people think are doing it are not those people. Yeah. It's your evangelical preachers. It's your big money Republican donors. Uh, it's your billionaires and zillionaires. It's those freaks who have no real lives because their lives just become these weird abstractions because they are uh, 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 inheritors to obscene wealth uh, and privilege. So real people just become sort of empty vessels for their own pleasure uh, which is why you get abuses of power. Uh, and that's also what this show is about mm-hmm. is abuse of power on a systemic scale, which is why if you interpret it supernaturally, like Justin said, you are wrong and dumb. Mm-hmm. Like it, it hints that it might go there, but it never does. Yes. Everything that seems supernatural in the show has a very realistic explanation. Like, Russ's weird hallucinations are just coming from the fact that he's a drug addict. Well, he's he's drug damaged yeah. from his yes. time as an undercover narco. Which he spent more time than anyone in the history of the force or something. Is like a statistic they cite is like most people leave that undercover op after like a year. He spent like four mm-hmm. with cartels just doing drugs constantly and getting probably threatened to be tortured there's that great scene where he talks about the classic cartel uh move which is to cut a dude's face off and like put a mirror in front of him and and stuff his dick down his throat it's crazy crazy <laughs> uh yeah yeah it's a it's true detective season one great season of television uh season two not good at all except for colin farrell uh, and season three with Mahershala Ali is shaping up quite nicely. Uh, we mm-hmm. haven't gotten to the episode penned by the great David Milch yet, uh, but we will. And well, I, it's- I, I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, at least the first two episodes directed by Jeremy Solnier, who is an a- amazing director, a great director. Uh, the new seasons doing uh, different stuff. It's uh, I- I'm excited that it's uh at least partially, um, I would say, influenced by the... Since True Detective came out, the zeitgeist of uh, true crime <laughs> yes. media. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's being influenced by its inheritors. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I'm uh, looking forward to the rest of it. This week on the pod, we'll be discussing... The 1998 record by the Handsome Family, Through the Trees, which crucially uh, does not have the song that was the uh, season one True Detective theme, but it's a pretty good record otherwise. Just celebrated its 20th anniversary reunion, now about to be 21 years old in 2019. Uh, the uh, Handsome Family are uh, husband and wife duo uh, Brett and Rennie. Mm-hmm. Sparks got that right. Uh, kind of uh, sort of modern indie alt country is kind of their uh, their deal, although they do other things too. This record was made 
this this was the Chicago record for the Handsome Family, which explains why it had the help and influence and participation of one Jeffrey Tweedy of Wilco fame and also uh, Chicago fame. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Thirteen tracks of. Uh, of 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 good American gothic spooky country, uh, wonderful stuff. Take it away. Um, I'll just say this, and then I'm done uh, speaking. <laughs> <laughs> um, handsome family are uh, my top three musical things with Tom Waits and Joanna Newsom. Um, I first heard them. I thought through the true detective theme song. Um, But then while listening to this album, I realized that I had interacted with them several years before when I was like 15. Um, The song. Oh shit. What's it called? The one where the sister dies from a snake bite and then the guy kills all the snakes. Anywho. (laughs) You got it. That's the name of it. That song from this album, they performed in a um, weird and great, I need to revisit it, uh, documentary on alt country called Looking for the Wrong-Eyed Jesus, where they performed it on a floating, um, like a houseboat, but that just looked like it was being taken away in a biblical flood. And it unsettled me um, back when I was a dumb child baby. But then I grew up and realized I like dark things. Um, This is one of my favorite albums. Not my favorite album by them. Okay. But it's up there. Um, It's dark. It's moody. It's beautiful. It's compassionate. It's empathetic. I uh, I think it's gorgeous. And uh, uh, what 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 do you think, Franklin? Uh, you know what's funny is my first encounter with the handsome fa- handsome family was the song the the lead track off of this album, Weightless Again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I first heard that song. Uh, if you guys remember iTunes celebrity playlists when they would get famous people to make iTunes playlists mm-hmm. that you could then download of music that they liked. Uh, Nico Case had one where she uh, put in Weightless Again by the Handsome Family. And I, for years, would just listen to that song a lot and not listen to Through the Trees. And it wasn't until recently when you assigned us all this album that I listened to you Through the Trees in its entirety. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for a while, literally my only relationship to the Handsome Family was Weightless Again. And I kind of wanted to keep it that way because if you ever had a relationship with a band where you hear one song and you love it so much that you don't want to listen to any of their other stuff because you're worried you won't like it as much Mm -hmm. and you don't want to ruin it. Uh, That was me with the Handsome Family for a while, which I realized is silly because I like dark alt country, which I actually think should just be called country. Right. Because – this is just truer to the roots of country music than 100%. fucking Florida County Line <laughs> and whatever else people listen to. Jason Aldean. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although that Casey Musgraves record from last year is really quite good. I've turned on it. 
Yeah. Oh, you've turned on it? I listen more closely to the lyrics. It's just oh, like you know, I... the main, the high horse song is yeah. just like anti, it's just like anti-eccentric, anti-intellectual, it's more fascist bullshit. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. You're probably right. Talking anyway, about running, uh, running us out of the town, us and our high horse. Fuck you. Maybe you have something to learn from the man on the high horse or the woman or the non-binary professor of ethics or uh, uh, humanism. Fuck you, Casey Musgraves. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Casey Musgraves. This week, Frasier Crane. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, this this is a really good album. And you're right, Justin. It's a very empathetic album because it's much like one of my uh, other favorite bands, Drive By Truckers, how this group kind of finds deep wells of empathy for people who are on the margins of life mm-hmm. uh, and, and renders their stories very acutely and with a lot of feeling and with uh, really beautiful uh, melodies and uh, harmonies and arrangements. Um, I've, I've always said, if I ever made a movie, I would want Brett Sparks to play the voice of God. Mm. He's got a, such a deep, beautiful baritone that it's also... Um, uh, um, almost untrained. It's it's a little wild. He's not in full control of his voice. Um, and Rennie um is just one of those weird kind of people who has like uh weird dark trivia that she'll just pull out at inappropriate times. Um, so a lot of their songs are about death, something that I think uh, I'll speak for the rest of us. We all wish for <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, they suffers from mental disorders. Um, both of them, Brett Sparks is bipolar. <laughs> Rennie suffers from severe major depression. Um, I know you guys don't place much credence in it, but I've never heard or knew of anyone who I was more sure was an INFP as as Rennie Sparks. The same as old Justy Pie. You can <laughs> you guys can talk. That's uh, that's that's Frank Frank's anti uh, Myers Briggs. Yeah. I kind of I kind of I can I can see why some people see uh, you know, confirmation bias and whatnot with uh Myers Briggs. But uh, I'm just saying uh, uh, Rustin Cole is probably an INTP. <laughs> <laughs> What's Marty Hart? Oh, he's ESFJ or some shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so shout out to Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, Lindsay. Woo. What's, what's Miles O'Brien? Cause that's Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to him marrying Keiko. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a INFJ, I believe is my, uh, my, my Myers Briggs test. So I, I guess that's what, uh, Miles O'Brien is too. Anyway, Handsome Family album. It was good, right? Yeah, no, it was great. Platlas love Frazier? Who? Me? You talking to me? 
I said, are you talking to me? Nobody else is here. Fr Thomas. <laughs> He's slowly morphing into uh, the thing from the Goonies. <laughs> hey, you guys. This week, Dr. Fraser Crane is bought by a model woman, but she has to go on a, on a thing, so he takes care of the daughter. The daughter tells terrible things about the mommy, but the mommy says, no, them's lies. You ain't going to get none of this. Dr. No Frazier Crane. Frazier. Also, Daphne has a hilarious scene. Everybody loves it, including <laughs> I. This week on Plaid Lads Love Frazier, Dr. Frazier Crane, season 4, 81, 92. Uh oh, here hike, it goes. Hike, hike. Oh, whoa! <laughs> season 1, episode 14. Can't buy me love! Love, you can't buy me love. I thought this episode was very funny. I think this is an all-time classic episode of Frasier. Um, when I think of Frasier, often this is one that I will think about. <laughs> no, this is this is a funny episode. What I will say is, uh, uh, Dan Butler, eat my shit. No, 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 no. Terrible in this episode. No. He's not I, fun. I explicitly was thinking during the limo scene that he's doing such a great, weirdly subtle performance. The character in this episode and forever is a disgusting, awful man. He's yeah. Can we can we just talk about? <laughs> That the whole scene with Daphne and Daphne's humor, I feel like it was all done not to uh, combat the uh, shittiness. I I use I think I Justin says it the most. I don't know the toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, the old time kind of tropes of the way we used to treat women and the way certain men would behave. Uh, uh, that it wasn't challenging these things. It was just kind of ameliorating them. It was just kind of improving them. Because in reality, the kind of guy who slaps a stranger on the ass after being bought by her, and his plan is to get them so inebriated that they might have sex with them, uh, uh, and, and that indeed Daphne did become inebriated, uh, that's a horrifying reality for these characters to live in. And really, you could think, Oh my God! No, seriously, like, uh, poor Daphne. What the fuck? Why are we doing this to this character? But then, oh no, she's she's a belligerent drunk and she's insulting, and, and Bulldog winds up getting beat up by some random, even more toxically masculine guy in a Camaro who's honking his horn. Uh, uh, but I, I, you know, it was like she was being fed into a buzzsaw. But instead of saying, "Hey, no, this is bad." Here's just a goofy way in which it could all turn out fine. And I feel like yeah. it's, it's a little bit of a cop-out. A funny one, but a little bit of a cop-out. Yeah, I, I do get a kick of her just insulting the bulldog constantly. That's very funny to me. I think it's just Jane Leaves is a funny actress, and she's just like the – you could tell she's having fun doing it. This was her best performance so far, and yeah. it gave us a yeah. – we had a couple of deaf. We have a little stretch of Daphne heavy episodes, and I love that this is where they're developing her, and we're getting a real, uh, yeah, yeah. This is where, yeah, 
we put some uh, character meat on them character bones. <laughs> I will say, we, like, we get on the early version of the show for um, being very problematic uh, with the Niles and Daphne thing. When this episode kind of proves that, like, the 90s were just problematic about horniness in general. Like, everyone in this episode is lecherous. Yeah. Uh, like, the what, the central joke of the early part of the episode is that these women are just horned up to buy a guy <laughs> yep, yep, at an yep. auction. And they're, like, grabbing and, and being terrible. Uh, uh, exemplified uh, by uh, uh, Roz. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say is, like... The most problematic line of the episode comes not from Niles. It comes from Roz, who buys up this poor football player for the Seattle Seahawks and just objectifies the hell out of him and says, I know what I want and I'm taking it. It was like they it's like they wanted to question patriarchy, but they just didn't know what to do. (laughs) They didn't want to do that at all. They didn't want to do that. You're probably right. Um but something I just thought now as you were saying that is that uh, instead of listening to you is that uh, <laughs> Daphne shows herself not to be a damsel in distress. What a, well, well uh, let me and, say um, a damsel under threat by a lecherous Niles. Now Daphne is the kind of, of, of woman who can knock him on his ass. And, and now that kind of changes the dynamic of Niles uh, uh, pursuing her. Yeah. One hundred percent. It's a funny episode, ladies and gents. Uh, it's one of the many plots of Fraser meets attractive lady. They hit it off, uh, and then by the end of the episode, they don't fuck because oh, I, he. I, I had this question. That. Uh, how do I put this? Did either of you think that his date? Was being a little unreasonable. Absolutely, because at the end. A, at the end. So the yeah. second, the second act of the episode that Justin kind of said without grammar is that uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the he lady, said in a free language. <laughs> <laughs> the lady who uh, uh, bought Fraser at the bachelor auction is this model, and uh, they're going to have an evening together. But she's a single mother. Uh, and uh, she has to run off on a job, and Fraser winds up babysitting her 12-year-old daughter who spouts out a bunch of uh, stories about the mother and how negligent she is. Uh, and when the mother returns for the date, Fraser has been turned against her, uh, but then the mother inf- informs him that the daughter was lying. You could choose to believe that. Maybe you don't have to. Uh and uh, Fraser looks like a big old dum dum, and he doesn't get to have the wiener sex, so he's sad. But then he said that Freddie, his own child, might become a resentful teenager, which he does. Spoiler alert! Becomes a goth, and also there's a spelling bee. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the the goth episodes are amazing. Klingon bar um, mitzvah. <laughs> but but if if I were her, and. Well, let me say this. We talked about um, Bulldog and Niles and and how bad it was in the 90s. But here is, and I'm being kind of legitimate, here is Frasier Crane believing the woman, believing a young girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the mom's reaction should be, and she does say, oh, yeah, she's totally lying. But her reaction should just then be, oh, She's lying. Sorry you got caught up in it. Let's move on with our date. Yeah. 
and be adults. Yeah. Why would you, why would she be insulted? Like, yes. <laughs> My, know, sociopathic, my sociopathic child is a convincing liar. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> because we wouldn't get some of the best lines ever. Uh, like when uh, she shows Fraser her bare shoulder in her backless dress to reveal that she doesn't have a tattoo. Yes. And she says, do you see anything? And he says, no, but then my eyes are tearing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Kelsey Grammer is particularly good in this episode. We get some great Fraser faces. What I'm realizing with this rewatch is I always thought of Fraser as the bad guy. And at least this early season, maybe it does change. But... Niles is a piece of shit and <laughs> Frazier's a legitimately good man. Yeah, no. And that, that holds true for pretty much the entire show. You moralists. <laughs> uh, they're just, they're just people living out the expression of their initial condition. Time is a flat circle. Not going to die. <laughs> that, that that was brilliant because you you in a single line went from Rust Cole <laughs> to JFK to George H W Bush <laughs> to I was gonna say Ross Perot <laughs> to Ross Perot. Oh my god! Okay, recommendation. No 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 Shut up! New segment. New segment. Uh, Fraser episode. What do you rate it? Do you? Uh, uh, on a scale from Bulldog to Three Eddies, what do you give it? <laughs> I get in this nonsense scale where the, the the quantum between the two ratings uh, is completely unrelated. Yes. I guess I give it Three Eddies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so, Justin, do you give this a bulldog? One, two, three eddies. The zero point being a chopper tape. <laughs> I'm giving this bad boy two eddies. Yes. Um, and um, what could have got that third eddy? Um, if it had some chopper Dave, <laughs> if it had <laughs> or the loud guy. That. Okay. <laughs> AKA. So what are we what are we reading? What are we watching? What are we listening to? I would like to recommend two things to you on this fine evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh one is a podcast I previously have recommended Teen Creeps, hosted by um Lindsay K. Ty and Kelly Nugent. I continue to recommend that. Uh but they also have a second podcast called Public Domain Theater, which is ending its fifty episode run. Um which you can go and listen to all of. It's great. They, with a guest usually, will read a piece of uh, public domain short fiction while um, doing some goofs over top of it. It's hilarious, and you also get to hear <laughs> a short story read to you. It's very good. I would also like to recommend um, the DC Comics Exit Stage Left the uh what's it called puss and boots snaggle snaggle puss snaggle tooth uh snaggle puss uh chronicles uh a retelling of the hanna-barbera character snaggle puss um reset in 1950s uh uh new york city during the 
HUAC trials, yeah. uh, House uh, Un-American uh, Activities, Activities Commission. Commission. Snagglepuss uh, is loosely based off of Tennessee Williams. Uh, he is a, a closeted playwright. Um, Huckleberry Hound is a another a closeted uh, writer. Uh, it's the Cold War. Uh, it's the Stonewall Inn. It is a beautiful piece of imaginative fiction based in uh, our past, but also saying something about our present and, uh, God help us, future. Fuck you all. Uh, so my recommendation for this week is a book <gasps> uh, written by Jeff Gwynn, who is a journalist who previously did uh, a very popular book about Charles Manson that was sim- uh, just called Manson. Uh, and this book from a couple of years ago is called The Road to Jonestown, Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Uh, it chronicles the life of Jim Jones from before he was born and like the circumstances of his parenting. Uh, right to the massacre at Jonestown in which uh, roughly a thousand people were forced to commit suicide in British Guyana uh, because they were a part of a crazy cult that he ran. Uh, and it's <clears throat> tracks the Jonestown cult, the which is the People's Temple, uh, through its beginnings as a legitimately good organization, as a left-wing socialist organization dedicated to ending racial injustice. And it just shows that, like, just because he had good intentions politically, he was also this nutso megalomaniac who didn't actually believe in that stuff. He just wanted that ideology to wield power over people. Uh, so his intentions were good, but his actual motivations were bad and it ended up leading to the deaths of, of many people who should not have died, including an American congressman, uh, who was shot in an airfield when he tried to investigate the, the, the people's temples camp in Jonestown in Guyana. Uh, and it's a great book. It's very extensive. It's very detailed and it's very chilling. At the end, uh, check it out. Joan, the road to Jonestown. Next week on the pod, what are we doing? So we're doing Stanley Donan's masterpiece charade, which we previously were supposed to do when we, when we did that fucking piece of shit Christmas Chronicles. <laughs> uh, and we're then doing the Mitski album, Be the Cowboy, which was a huge hit last year. And none of us three white guys have listened to it. We're doing this because we haven't listened to it. We feel like we should. And we're going to come at you with our reactions. Uh, and then we're doing whatever is the episode of Frasier after the one we just did. You can't tell a crook by his cover. You can't tell something by its cover. You can't tell a crook by his cover. You can't tell a crook by its cover. That's Frasier season one, episode 15. 15. The 15th episode. Right, of Frasier. Bye, bye, bye. Bye-bye. Bye, babies. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, my sweet babies. Ah! Ah! The Plaid Lads is available on Apple Podcasts and the Google Play Store. At Plaid Lads Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Email us at pladladspod at gmail.com. Justin's band is at Welcome to Wonderfalls on Instagram and Welcome to Wonderfalls.bandcamp.com. Also, at Something's That Made Me Cry on Instagram. 
Instagram.com and is Elbow8. Elbow8.bandcamp.com and at Elbow8band on Instagram. Music by Tom Dunning, who also engineers, mixes and edits the show. Please leave us a rating anywhere you can on the internet or maybe a public bathroom stall. Goodbye.